Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is The Source of Morality. In today's episode, I want to discuss a moral dilemma addressed by Socrates. And the root of the dilemma is how to determine morality and reconcile the idea of God within a moral context. But before I get there, I want to illustrate an interesting thought experiment. Now, let's imagine that we are at the judgment seat before God we have a, a wide array of individuals from many different time periods, all in front of God being judged. We have a man from ancient Israel. We have a man from the Middle Ages. A man from the early church. Let's say the Utah period in the 1880s. And then we have someone from the present day all standing before God to be judged. We'll do it in chronological order and address the first person, this ancient Israelite. We'll say that this Israelite is in front of God and God starts asking him questions about the way he lived his life. Did you make sacrifices? Did you wear a shirt that had both wool and linen fabrics in it? Did you ever eat pork? And, and on and on, God starts asking this ancient Israelite these questions about how he lived his life. And you have the man from the Middle Ages and the early Mormon church period and the modern day thinking, oh, I did all of those things. I wore a shirt with two different fabrics on it. I ate pork all the time. I never once did a burnt offering at the temple. And after going through all these judgments, God says, okay, to the man from ancient Israel, it says, you lived a good life. You get to go into heaven. And the other three men and women from this example start scratching their heads. I didn't follow all those rules. I'm going to be judged accordingly. There's no way I'm going to make it into heaven. So then God starts asking this man from the Middle Ages. He says, now you lived at a time where my church wasn't on the earth. And the man from the Middle Ages says, okay, I didn't know. I was a good Christian my whole life. I, I did my best to be honest and good to my fellow man. And God says to him, do you accept me as God? And the man from the Middle Ages says, oh, of course. And God welcomes him in without asking a single question about the life he lived and the choices he made. Free pass. Now next, to the man from the early Mormon church, God asks, did you ever take cattle from someone else and brand it without, without permission? Did you marry more than one woman? Did you swear an oath? to avenge the blood of Joseph Smith? And the man goes through and answers all of these questions. And he lived up to them. And then he's, enter he's allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. And then we come to the final person. Let's say it's a modern woman from the present day. She stands there looking at 
God, wondering how on earth she can make it in when she did not follow anything that is said by the three previous people. But then she hopes that by some some strange chance that she might be accepted just as the one from the Middle Ages was without much requirement. But instead of asking about sacrifices and linens or polygamy, instead God just asks, did you believe the right thing? Do you support church leaders regardless of what they say? Did you pay your tithing? And the woman goes and answers these questions. And she worked her hardest to be allowed into heaven. She followed all the commandments of her day. And she was allowed in. Now, the thing I'm trying to illustrate with all of this is that the set of moral guidelines has changed dramatically throughout the course of history. Where one person from one age is judged by a different moral code than someone from a different age. So that brings this fascinating quandary. Are these moral codes from God or mankind? On the post-Mormon side of the belief spectrum, oftentimes members of the church or loved ones will ask us, or how can you still be good if you don't believe in God? How can you live a moral life with no religion in it? Or how can you live a moral life if you've switched to this other religion? And it's this, it's this interesting dilemma because a lot of people believe that you cannot be moral without God. But they never stop to consider that there's an equally important question. How can you live a moral life while believing in God? Let's talk about this a little bit. When I left the church, I was put into a position where I had to determine what I thought was right and wrong. For my whole life, I had this set of standards given to me, and it was a, a preconceived idea of what was right and what was wrong. And it was rigid, and it was, it was helpful for when I was a, a child. But when I stopped believing, this whole system of morality crumbled away with the church. And I was left with this this empty space on how to determine right from wrong. I, I want to discuss morality maybe for a couple of episodes because I think it's a very fascinating subject. But in this time, I, I kept thinking to myself, if I don't believe I'm going to hell for certain sins, why don't I do them? And specifically, I was thinking to myself, if I cheated on my wife and I wouldn't go to hell, what is preventing me from cheating on my wife? And it may sound like a very strange way to present that, but that's, that's how it came into my head. And up until this point, my motivation for being faithful to her was driven by the desire not to go to hell. And that is unhealthy. I was then in a position to say, now, wait a minute. That's the wrong reason. And from that point, I decided I need to be faithful to my wife because I love her. And this, this whole thought 
expanded into every facet of my life and redefined the reasons of why I do what I do and why I live my life the way I live my life. The, the framework that I used we'll discuss in another episode, but today I want to specifically talk about, now I want to present a, a question that Socrates posed to one of his students named Euthyphro. I may be mispronouncing that. This is often referred to as the Euthyphro Dilemma. And here's the question that Socrates asked his student. He said, do the gods love good action because it is good? Or is good action good because it is loved by the gods? I'm going to rephrase that just a little bit into a context geared more towards Christianity and Mormonism. A little historical context. Socrates was born about 470 BC and he died right around 399 BC, and he lived in ancient Greece, specifically in Athens. He's a very important philosopher of that time period, but he didn't actually write anything down himself. He's mentioned in some contemporary plays from the time, but the body of his works that we have today are from one of his students named Plato. So Plato wrote down the dialogues, and these are the conversations that Socrates had with his students. Now this, this question, as I said, was set in that time period where they believed in a full pantheon of deities. They were, they were a polytheistic religion. So he phrased it as, do the gods love good action because it is good? Or is good action good because it is loved by the gods? Now I want to reframe it to a Mormon perspective and say, does God love good action because it is good? Or is good action good because God loves it? Now, the way this is phrased could be viewed as a false dichotomy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and boil it down into a yes or no question so that we can analyze it further from there. So let me phrase it in a way that would be yes or no. Did God create a code of morals that are right and wrong? Or are there absolute morals of right and wrong independent of God? We can either understand this one of two ways. God created a code of morals, and we must live by them. Or there is a code of morals independent of God. Whichever stance we take on this, either, either the former or the latter, there are significant implications to belief. Now, I don't want to get too far into the ethics and too far into the, the meta-ethics of this. On the one hand, you have goodness determined independently of God, or goodness determined by God. Let's briefly explore both of these options. If we take the first position, and we'll say that, that God loves good things because they're good. The problem, if you're a theistic person, with this concept is that means that there is, there is a higher law than God. There's something that, that would supersede God. And that would actually take him down from a pedestal from being omnipotent. It's the same concept of can God create something that's too heavy for God to lift? If God is all-powerful, how can he create something that he himself cannot lift? It's one of those, those paradoxes. If God is interpreting a, an already established code of right and wrong, would that count as something that he cannot lift himself? And there's some interesting debate and discussion that can be had on that side of the argument. Now again, I'm not trying to, to go into what is moral and how to determine what is moral and what isn't moral. I'm just kind of talking generally. I do want to go into morality a little bit in the future 
and discuss some different uh, philosophies of it and, and how to determine what is and isn't moral after a faith crisis. Because I think that's a, a fascinating subject to discuss as well. Let's look at the, the other side of this equation. Let's say that, that good action is good because God said so. In my mind, this is the view that you almost have to take if you read the scriptures and understand them literally. With the example that I said earlier of these, these different moral codes that different people in different ages had to obey in order to be worthy in the eyes of God is a good illustration of this idea. If right and wrong is only according to God's word, what is stopping it from being arbitrary? What I mean by that is, why did the people in ancient times, for example, in the Levitical law in, in uh, Leviticus 19.19, it prohibits the use of wool fabric and linen fabric in the same cloth. If that on its own was a moral command from God, why isn't it a moral command from God today when people that believe in God are not required to follow that same commandment? And then for a modern example, and I want to discuss this very delicately. And here's the question that I want to pose along these same lines. And it's the question of was the priesthood ban moral? Was the priesthood ban a moral choice of the church? Or was it an immoral choice? Now, if you're a believing member and you're looking at this and saying, oh, if God commanded it to his prophets, it had to have been a moral choice. But then you're also presented with this quandary as then, then the morals of God are fluctuating. And they, they change from one age to the next, from one generation to the next, from one prophet to the next. Morally, what changed between 1977 and 1978 when God changed his mind? And then from the same, the same question can be posed about the 2015 and then the subsequent 2019 change on the, the church's stance on LGBTQ children and them getting baptized. Both were presented as a revelation. So, was it moral to prevent these kids from getting baptized? Or was it moral to allow them to be baptized? Which of these two commands were moral? The first one or the second? Was it moral to prevent them from getting baptized unless they denied their parents' marriage? Or was it moral to allow them to make a choice on their own and get baptized without denying their parents' marriage? If you prescribe to the latter version of Socrates' question where, where whatever God says is what is right and wrong, this fits in that paradigm. God can arbitrarily pronounce what is right and wrong and we are obligated to follow it. But I'm going to present two possibilities of looking at this a different way. That isn't to say that there aren't other possibilities, but these are the two that I would like to discuss. If you have other ideas, please reach out. I would love to hear your thoughts. The first possibility is that, that yes, good action is good because God says so, but 
the church is not always in alignment with that good action or is not always in alignment with that morality of God's commands. That has dramatic implications on the way the church is run and on revelation and how, as we established in a previous episode, prophets are just doing their best based on their opinions and their perspective of the world. So what does that mean about these times where they just absolutely get it wrong? If you prescribe to the fact that all good commands come from God, but don't want to see him as a a figure arbitrarily assigning right and wrong to random things throughout time, then you almost have to prescribe to the idea that the church is not always in alignment with God. Another alternative that I see is that that maybe, maybe these laws are independent of God and he's trying to teach his people these laws. If you prescribe to this as well and want to be a theist and and a member of the Mormon church, that's fine. But it also points out that the teachings are not always in alignment with morality. Now, there could be other ways to interpret this. But from my perspective, I don't see a way of interpreting it in a way where, where God has a code of morals that are unchanging without looking at the church and seeing it as a changing entity. There's a disconnect between an unchanging theology of God and an ever-changing organization of the church. Now, I could discuss the source of morals without, a de- without deity and, and other things along those lines, but for today's episode, I just want to look at it through a, a believing perspective and this moral quandary that it presents. Let's look at some other examples, and we can push this, this thought experiment that we had from the beginning even further. Let's say someone today drinks coffee regularly, and they're at the judgment seat before God, and God's looking at his list of commandments, and he says, I can't allow you into heaven because you have been drinking coffee regularly. Let's go back to the example. Now here we have this woman who has just heard the judgment passed on all of these other people from different time periods all get into heaven because they obey the commandments during their time. And she's sitting there thinking, oh no, I drink coffee, and I drink coffee regularly as an adult. So here she goes through her judgment, and God asks her questions about her life and about the different things that she did and the decisions she made. And when he gets to the coffee question, he says, it looks like you've drank coffee your whole life. And she says, yeah, yeah, I did. And God says, well, you can't get into heaven because you drink coffee. The woman calls back and says, well, why don't you judge me based on the judgments of the man from the 1880s or from the man who lived when your church wasn't here on earth or from the man from ancient Israel? And God looks back at her and he says, okay, I'll judge you based on the commandments from the 1880s. And they go through the same questions, and they don't ask the question about coffee this time. But they ask her all sorts of other questions based on the morality of, his, of the time. Do you believe in the plurality of marriage? And the woman says, well, no, I don't believe polygamy is re- required to enter heaven. And God looks back at her and he says, well, I, I can't let you enter heaven then. And the woman looks back at him and says, well, 
Well, why not? I lived a good life. Ah, God replies. But during the 1880s, it was a requirement to be in a polygamous marriage to enter the celestial kingdom. So I, I can't let you in. Well, and the woman says, well, then fine. Judge me based on the, the criteria of the man in the, in the Middle Ages when the church wasn't on earth. And God replies to her and says, no, no, I can't judge you based on that. Because you have heard the good news. You are a part of the restored church. So I can't give you a pass on all commandments. Because you already know them. And the woman, rightfully frustrated, says, But these commandments change. Fine, judge me based on the, the law of Leviticus. And God looks back at her and says, No, 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 I can't. Because I know you've, you do not follow the Levitical law. You eat foods that I prohibited in, in this law. And you wear clothes of, of disparate fabrics. And based on this law, you also won't get into heaven. And so here this woman who did good her whole life, except she drank coffee, can't get into heaven because God arbitrarily commanded it in the modern day. This is the problem with looking at God through a set of, of commandments. Because if we read scripture and understand that it is constantly changing and shifting, if we see all of these changes as direct revelation from God, there is a problem with reconciling the morality of deity. It leads me to conclude that the only way to understand this morality problem and religion is to distance God from religions altogether. Where we once saw them as the arbiter of truth and righteousness, instead we recognize them as men and women trying their best to interpret deity. And when we engage with religion that way, it's a much more healthy and logically consistent mindset. Because the moment you allow for these, these inconsistencies to all be from God, it creates this quagmire of loopholes and issues that are too much mind-bending for me to allow. So what does that mean for a believer or a non-believer? In my mind, wherever you find yourself on this belief spectrum, in order to maintain the logical consistency with deity and its relationship with humanity, you almost have to separate yourself from the literal interpretation of Scripture. I would love to hear from someone who disagrees with me, and I would love to hear a counter-argument. So if you're out there, if someone doesn't agree, please reach out to me. I would love to see how you would interpret this sort of a question. Because in my mind, a God that changes his attitudes and judges people based on different standards, based on when and where they were born throughout this life, is not a God I wish to follow. As always, I could be wrong. Now, as I said, a believer that wants to wants to ascribe to the literalness of all scripture and the literal revelation of God's will to his prophets in the latter days is pigeonholed 
into this concept of an arbitrary God commanding different things to different people. And here's the conclusion that Socrates made about a God like this. If God's choices are arbitrary, if they're changing from one generation to the next, and then his morality is different from one people to another people, then it is not rational. And there is no reason for anyone to make assumptions about what God wants or what his will is. The same type of life merits different judgments based on the time that you lived is completely arbitrary and counterintuitive to the God that I was presented with as a child. Now, this whole idea doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to express the fact that, that if he does exist, he does not look like anything I've been presented yet. I have one last example that I want to share. And I want to share this as, as a flip side to the argument. Now, today, the Mormon church has disavowed polygamy and polygamous relationships as part of its daily practice. It isn't completely gone because there's a spiritual polygamy that exists as a sort of loophole. If you're a man and your spouse dies, you're allowed to marry another woman and be sealed concurrently to two people for eternity. So polygamy does exist, it's just a weird loophole. Let's say, for example, you have a family in the modern day practicing polygamy. And they die and they go to heaven. And in the judgment seat, they say, but God, we practiced your commandment, your commandment of polygamy. We're still doing it. We, we're trying to follow your word as best we can. But God doesn't allow them into heaven. And his response to them is, oh, I, I changed my mind about that one. It's no longer a commandment. It's no longer necessary to enter heaven to do that. In fact, it's, it's, um, it's not allowed in the church anymore. So you, you can't come into heaven. These commandments are completely arbitrary if you take every single word of the prophets at face value. You can look at this thing from a faithful perspective. Let's say that, that God does define morality. And let's also suppose that, that the leaders of the church do say the word of God and teach it to lead the people. Those are conclusions that many people make. The problem comes in where you don't allow space for these people to be wrong. A space needs to be created in the rhetoric for the prophets to get things wrong and to lead the church astray. It's really damaging when you have the prophet saying, I cannot lead the people astray, period. Little examples of small policy changes between one leader to the next, or we could have big examples to temple changes, to ordinance changes, to policy changes on, on the priesthood ban. In my mind, it's a much healthier view if you're going to believe that God creates morality, or if you're going to be of the camp that morality is independent of God. It divorces the church from this morality. Those are conclusions that people can make, and I'm not going to tell people that they have to make the same conclusion I've made. But I think there is a problem in saying that the church also presents a perfectly moral position. Because we've seen in so many cases that they haven't. 
The Mountain Meadows Massacre was not a moral thing. And there are countless other examples of them doing things that are not moral. And this concept of morality also applies to the LGBTQ plus community. In my mind, it is no less immoral than the priesthood ban. It's not. I plan on doing an episode about this in the future, but it's this whole concept is not even scriptural. And... And it just needs to be changed. It just does. As I have said in previous episodes, the Mormon church has built into its theology a system for making changes and getting more in line with a just God. The prophet can receive inspiration and revelation to make the changes necessary to treat people equally. And I think until they do that, they're going to continue to be an immoral institution. That doesn't mean they're wholly evil or wholly bad. They teach lots of great concepts. They encourage people to be good and kind and loving to their neighbor. There are a lot of good things about the church. And I, I can understand a believing person, a faithful person, wanting to interface with God through this church. That's valid. But I do not believe that hatred and discrimination have any place with morality. Wherever you decide that that morality comes from, inherent to God or independent of God, wherever you decide that, that morality comes from, hatred, discrimination, these are not concepts that are moral. This phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner, that should be related to murder. That should be related to abuse. That should be related to any other despicable act. But that is not the way you treat a human being for something that they have no control over. This concept of, of hate the sin, love the sinner implies that there is something evil about the way they were born. And that is just ignorant. And this whole idea needs to be removed from the rhetoric altogether. I don't think I have anybody on the Strengthening Church Members Committee yet, but maybe soon somebody will pay attention to me. Please pass the message on up. We need to get some revelation. The church needs to change. Here is the moral quandary of this particular issue. And it would have been a, and you would have been able to describe this same thing with the blacks and the priesthood and the whole priesthood ban. Is it moral to discriminate someone for something they cannot control? Is it moral to discriminate someone in the LGBT community for something that they cannot control? Is it moral? I can rephrase that in a different way. Is it moral to exclude exaltation from someone for something they cannot control? Is that moral? If you are of the camp that God determines what is moral, then it is arbitrary. But if you're of the camp that morality is independent of God, then the answer is resoundingly no. Discrimination based on race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, 
any of these things, any sort of discrimination like that is immoral, period. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I tried to present a moral problem in a simple way for us to understand. Now that isn't to say that this isn't multifaceted. This could be a long discussion and a long debate about these different aspects of this this concept. If you have thoughts or ideas that you want to share, please reach out. I would love to continue this discussion. The idea of morality, both as a believer in God and a disbeliever in God, is a fascinating subject to discuss. And I plan to go into more depth down the road. If this is content that you enjoy, I would greatly appreciate a like and a review. Share this podcast with your friends. And let me know what you think. If there's something I've said that you disagree with, please reach out. The only way I can correct myself is if somebody tells me that I'm wrong. The moral idea of deity is a complex issue. And as always, I hope that you have an excellent day. Day.